0: I've heard a lot about today about, uh, you know, good design. Uh, I really enjoyed Daniel's presentation. A lot of uh, beautiful explanations and metaphors and, and pictures. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of code today. Some of that boring text stuff, right? Um, but the first thing that I'd like to uh, let you all know is that the entire text of this presentation is uh, released to the public domain. So you're welcome to use it, reuse it, repurpose it, however you wish. Um, the images that are included are all Creative Commons licensed by their respective uh, owners. So, uh, just a really quick sort of show of hands. How many of you have an idea of what you think are microformats? Okay, I'm seeing like at least half the people. How many of you have, have never used microformats? A few folks. Okay. So, well, just real quick here, folks. Um, I asked Hugh McCloud, you know, what does he think microformats are, and that's what he drew. So, that's, that's one idea, Little little dots on a... A card. He's this great cartoonist. If you've seen him, he's, he's quite witty. Um, but the but the real, the best thing to do is just to see, you know, what do microformats do? I'll look at that. Alright. And if we connect to the internet, we could see. But uh, we're going to skip that because we can't, right? Yeah. There you go. So the, one of the simplest examples is contact information, and I'll just briefly outline what happens here is that You go to a site, you go to, like, a doctor's site, say, and you want to, like, copy down their contact info, their phone number, their location, their address, uh, maybe their URL. And each one of those gestures takes a user action, a copy, a a, a context switch into a different application, a paste, back and forth, back and forth. A dozen little user actions. Um, And all those are marked up in a page as as contact information. So if you actually mark them up with this microformat called hCard, it enables uh, the user to simply add that contact information to their address book with one quick click. And as anyone here who's in business for themselves, uh, or in a small startup, or looking in a consultancy, how many of you work in a small business or web design firm that's always looking to get, like, you know, more business, right? Or more consultancy? Quite a few folks. So, and you probably have a contact page, right? Like how to contact us, maybe a form, uh, maybe an email address, maybe a URL. By adding Hcard to those, uh, to your contact page, you can easily make it so that people can pick that up uh, and add to their address books, and hopefully lower the barrier to entry to actually getting in contact with you. You know, direct give you direct economic benefit. So, but we're not going to dive into the, the microformats general. Um, you can check the presentation out online and check out these demos later. The one thing I will leave you with: how many of you run Firefox here? Okay, most folks, at least some of the time. Um, how many of you have downloaded and installed the operator plugin for Firefox? Wow, that's quite a few. Okay, uh, I would say that if you install one piece of software today, uh, just Search for operator, and it'll be one of the first few results, you know, in Google or, or whatever. And install that on Firefox, and you will see a whole different web. Um, when you do a Google search, uh, like a Google Maps search for, like, coffee uh, near, near Brighton, uh, England, you'll find that the results come up, you know, those list- businesses are listed, and all of those actually are marked up in Card, and you can add to your address book with one click, not just one business, but all the businesses on the page. Sync that to your phone, and then you can walk around and find those businesses. Very different experience than uh, today's web. So, but we're here to talk about social network portability. And that's, that's a lot of multi-syllable words, right? But what is the basic problem here we're talking about? All right. So, Daniel showed us Dig, and he showed us Pounce, and you know, we've seen other sites during the day, and we're going to see even more. Um, but every one of these new social sites, and I think we're getting a little better at this, but almost all of them make you re-enter your personal info, re-add all your friends return off notifications how many of you like sign up for a site and then all of a sudden get email like every day from that site right how many of you find this annoying okay right and so every new site you sign up for you like to turn that on so we don't have some way of saying okay I've turned it off for this site I signed up for can you just kind of port that across for me you know or maybe some things I want to keep private you know maybe my actual like physical address Maybe I'm okay putting my city public, but not my, you know, specific address, street address. But something I want to keep private. And that has to be re-entered every time as well, right? So there's lots of things. And maybe you've got stalkers, right? Of course, this is, you know, this is the internet. There's no such thing as stalkers, right? Or trolls, or people that make your life unpleasant. Um, You know, especially, you know, on some of these popular sites like Dig, this never happens, right? Uh, So you have to, these systems come in place. I mean, Flickr has done a really good job of having a block list And the question is, though, every time a new site comes out, you have to sort of, like, re-go through that site, re-find the people or wait for them to find you that that harass you if you have this problem and re-block them. And so it's like this repeated, like, you know, little bit of a a, a pain impulse every time, a little electric shock kind of thing every time you have to join a new social network site. So what if there was some way instead that we could say, hey, just take my block list from Flickr. It's there. You know, I'll, I'll let you log in using the Flickr authorization. Go get it and reuse that. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be excellent? But the, the basic point is that every time you do this, there's this incredible amount of information you have to add. And Brian Oberkirk uh, coined this, the social network fatigue problem, um, which is, is really obvious to anyone here who's added themselves, a, um, signed up for at least a few networks. In fact, I should ask you, how many of you have signed up for, like, at least three or more networks? Right, okay, pretty much everyone. Five or more networks? Keep your hands up. 10 or more networks? Yeah, 20? I know some of you have. Admit it. Okay. And after you signed up for that fifth or that 10th network, you're kind of like, oh, I'm tired already. I don't want to sign up for another one, right? So what are the alternatives there? Well, we could all decide to go play in some walled garden, where we say, hey, this is our one network that we're just going to use and make everyone use that one, right? Whether that network was called Friendster in the old days or maybe Orkut, or MySpace, or maybe today Facebook, right? The one popular network of today's world. I think Facebook just advanced past MySpace in terms of total number of profiles. Um, But the fact that that's changed over time should tell you something, right? There is no one sort of golden network, right, that controls them all. They're going to turn over, right? Whether because of fashion trends or whether because generational changes, whatever. We don't know the reasons, right? I leave that up to the... uh, anthropology researchers, but the reality is that it will turn over. There will come a day when Facebook is not popular, right? Of course they're not going to want to believe that or admit that, but neither did MySpace, neither did Orkut, neither did Friendster, right? Or 6 How many of you had an account on 6 Okay. This, this was like the sort of social network site before any of these were invented back in the sort of first iteration of the web that kind of experimented with a lot of this stuff. But it's not just a sign-up problem, Okay. How many sites or profiles do you have that, you know, and what happens when you, say, you get promoted in your job, you change your title, or you change companies, you move, you know, or maybe you change your, you change your icon. You know, maybe you decide to change your icon to some goofy anime character. I'm sure none of you have done this in the last couple of weeks, right? <laughs> right, okay. How many sites do you have to update? So if you've signed up, if you're one of those people that raised your hand, you signed up for 20 sites, and you decide to change your icon to some anime character... You're, you're just like carrying this huge, like, social network burden. This whole, like, social network tax almost of like, this update tax. Oh, I changed, I'm, I'm moving, I have to update like 20 different networks. I've forgotten all the different places I have to update. I'm sure there are places that still say that I work at Technorati, even though I left over a year ago. Right? It's just, I haven't had the time to, to like, re-find all the places that I haven't bothered to log into, or whatever reason. And so this is not just a sign-up problem, but it's also an update maintenance problem. For your profile. But it's actually worse than that. It's not just about you, right? Why are you on all these social networks? It's also about your friends. So the problem there is, you meet someone at a conference, right? I'm sure, have any of you met someone here today? Maybe, hopefully. You know, if, if, if you don't know the person to your left or right, right, maybe at the break, say hello, introduce yourself. You know, what's your Twitter, right? Sort of like today's greeting. Um, but then, you know, maybe you find that you have a bunch of things in common, you decide to talk, and then all of a sudden, you know, or maybe you, you introduce yourself to someone, and you find them highly offensive, and you're like, I don't want to deal with this person ever again, I'm going to go block them on some networks, right? Um, how many friends lists do you have to update, right? This, I found this happens, like, almost every time you meet someone, there's this little social network dance that you do, you're like, well, I'll add you on Twitter, okay, well, I'll add you on Pounce, okay, well, I'll add you on Dig, okay, well, I'll add you on Last.fm, I'll add you on, you know, and this sort of continues, and, and maybe you know maybe there is a good quality because it's sort of like the social dance aspect going back and forth, back and forth. But after a few times of doing that, you get kind of tired of doing it, and maybe you just want to say, look, you know, this person is great. I trust them. I'll even give them my full Doppler travel pro, uh, profile access. Let them know exactly where I am, or maybe my full you know Fire Eagle uh, profile that gives me exact ICBM geo coordinates, right? So this is another aspect of the sort of social network update maintenance problem, if you've got 20 sites that you're doing, you've got 20 sites you need to add people if you really want to add them, this problem is not going to end, right? It's not like tomorrow there's going to be no more social network sites that come out, right? Or, you know, are people just going to go build applications that only run inside one of these walled gardens? Well, some people are picking that path, but most people aren't. So, what we're really talking about here, though, is, you know, the reason that the users have to do this manually every single time is they don't really control have really good control of the data in each one of these sites. So the goal here, really, is not just portability, but really it's much more about user control. Putting the user in charge, empowering the user to do what they want with their information as easily as possible. So you want to move or syndicate, like I said, your profile information from one site to another, right? Uh, Your friends list the relationships. Perhaps even the fact that you have several sites that are all yours. and you want to communicate that information to more than one site. So, Pounce has this feature that Daniel showed you, and we'll go into that a little more, about other profiles, where you can list all these other sites that you're on. Dig also has that feature, where you can list other sites that you're on. But right now, today, I have to re-enter that information, right? If I log into Pounce, I enter it. If I log into Dig, I have to enter it again. And this is by folks that actually worked on both, both pieces. Right? Wouldn't it be nice if I could simply go to one site, maybe I enter it all on pounce and go to dig and say, okay, you know what, my pounce profile already says what my other profiles are, just go get them. Right? So we need to basically acknowledge the fact that the data that the user's put into our systems is not ours, it's theirs. Right? Or another way to look at it is, maybe you maybe you sort of like do a dividing line. Say, okay, well, give the user full control of their data, and this is something, but let them keep a public section, you know, let them draw the line of what's public and what's private. Because I think that's a important, very important design decision to make. And one of the things that I think Dig did that I want to call out as uh, being really sort of uh, groundbreaking is they said, okay, anything you upload to the site, comments, whatever, that's public, you're releasing to the public domain. And this is just brilliant. This means that any site can sort of repurpose, remake, use of, mash up, build applications on top of Dig. Using the public user data on dig without having to ask permission anyone permission, and this is just brilliant, right? so on dig people don't think much about it they They enter you know a few comments, maybe they enter a URL um, but like why not do this you know with something like Twitter, where you're also entering like only about one hundred and forty characters, which is probably about you know the average dig comment I'm sure you know Daniel could probably tell you it's probably about that too, so why not make that public as well, right? Everything you can make public, more public domain, it becomes more portable, it's less of a hassle. You, know, you have to deal with the biz dev folks. No offense to the biz dev folks. So, what we're really talking about here is user experience. We're really talking about making things easier for the users. That's the most important thing, that each one of us building our sites, we know that like, if we make things easy for users, we make them feel empowered, make them feel happy, right? So they're clicking that smiley face icon on Get Satisfaction when they're commenting on some other thread. Then you know you've got loyal users, right? So let's stop making it hard for them. So let's new social networks. If you're building a new one, you know, ideally you should let users import and subscribe your profile information from some other site. You all raised your hands when I said, you know, ask if you have three or more social network sites. Well, I'm willing to bet that almost anyone you meet today um, is gonna have at least a profile on some site somewhere, whether it's Facebook or MySpace or Flickr or Twitter or wherever. So there's always some place where they can say, hey, just start me off from here, including their friends and relationships. Um, the interesting thing is that once you allow this sort of import-export with profiles that are portable, you actually allow the next step, which is interesting, which is syndication and thus subscription and making your profiles updates live so that when you update your icon on one site, you don't actually have to go to 20 other sites and click like an update or import button. Right, Which is actually one step better than having to re-upload the image 20 times. But if they were subscribed to your profile, say to your Flickr profile with your Flickr icon, then they would just pick that up automatically. Right, that's, what, that's, that's the direction we really need to head with this kind of stuff, is stop trying to be, everyone trying to reinvent the user's data store for their information. Right, It's actually a lot of work. Why not just let them tell you, hey, I'm already here. Just subscribe from there. Maybe cache it for reliability reasons. And once you do that, and once you actually like let them import their networks and, and represent their networks publicly as well, and connect them all up, you actually get a network of social networks, which we can call a social inter-network. Now, this is all fine and you know great. You know this is sort of like what is, you know what Daniel was talking about, unobtainium. If I could only make things like trivial for the users, but it has unobtainium that made it like frictionless for the users to sign up on various sites, it'd be awesome, right? But we all have work to do. We all have jobs to do. We all have design considerations. We all have clients that are saying, oh, make the logo bigger. Right? I'm sure that never happens. The key here, though, is to, is to make sure that whatever techniques we use to do this are actually easy for sites to adopt as well. And this is one of the core principles of microformats, is to make things easy and accessible to web designers and web authors, and not just developers, so that anyone that knows HTML can pick up and learn and use microformats. Right? How many of you have hand-authored some HTML at some point? Okay. There's there's pretty much everyone raising their hand. And if you haven't, I'm willing to bet that you could sit down in about five minutes learn to not just write a little bit of HTML, but to like write a bit of microformats. In fact, you could even just copy and paste from what's going what you're gonna see in the presentation. So a lot of modern web designers are already doing modern um, already doing these modern practices of like using semantic class names, using plain old semantic HTML, uh, which we've Termed or abbreviated to this term "posh," which I which I've taken to understand has a bit of a cultural uh, zing when it comes to um, the UK. But hey, you know that's no matter what word you pick, you're going to end up upsetting someone, right? Another aspect is something that Daniel talked about for users, which is that you know if they put a little bit of work, they should get some at least some benefit out, and that's and that helps encourage them to do to do more work. Well, that's true for us too. If we can do a little bit of implementation and get some benefit immediately on our sites for our users, it's very encouraging. Rather than having to do a big, massive, like, you know, big chunk of code and do some massive implementation with some massive API before you get to see anything. And that's another important aspect of uh, microformats, that by keeping all these building blocks modular, uh, by having, like, little pieces you can implement one at a time and get benefits one at a time, it makes it easier for you to say, oh, you know, I've got an extra half day, or I've got an extra hour, let me just implement this one piece and see what happens. So I think that's really important. It's also really important to not ask sites to do a lot of new things. Almost every site that has users already has a profile URL for that user. Right? We should not ask them to make another you know, profile, my portable profile URL as a separate URL. That's ridiculous. We should be able to use the existing URLs that they have. You know? We shouldn't ask them to learn a new format. We should be able to work with the current content that sites publish. When you looked at the dig profile uh, that Daniel was showing, or the pounce profile, or any of those, each one of those profiles shows slightly different information, or last FM profile, and then it's all based on design considerations. And I'm here to tell you that that's the right consideration to use when you pick what content to show and publish. Not because you want to make it portable, but because you already know what the user wants to see, what they're comfortable publishing, and that is much more important than sort of some abstract notions, you know, of portability or, or sort of programmer convenience. So we want to work with the current content that's published. How many of you know about the DRY principle? Okay, a few folks. So DRY stands for don't repeat yourself. And this is a really important principle we try to emphasize in microformats. Uh, what it basically means is that if you have a piece of information, the more times you duplicate it in the content that you publish, the greater the chance that it's going to become out of sync. Now, this gets really bad when one or more of the places that you publish that information is actually invisible, is not visible to the user. Whether it's in the comments in your HTML code, or it's in metadata, invisible metadata, meta tags, or maybe even some random XML file. Okay. Chances are that data is going to become out of date as compared to what's visible on the user's profile page. So we actually tell people, to, we actually de-emphasize doing that. We say, don't bother putting stuff that's invisible data in visible places, because it will become out of date. I mean, you think, well, we're all just getting it from a database, right? Doesn't matter. Everything that requires updating, everything that requires a little piece of code to generate, probabilistically will break at some point in time. Right? Code breaks. There are bugs. That's just the way these things work. And so, when push comes to shove, and you have to ship a new version of the site, what do you check? You check what the site looks like. Okay. If you have to make some tweak the last minute, you may actually break the stuff that's invisible because you're not checking it. When you do a user test, are the users looking at the invisible data? No. They're looking at the visible data. So that's the part that you're caring about, they're manipulating, and that users see and tell you about. If there's a problem on your profile page, they're going to tell you and get satisfaction because it's visible, not because it's invisible. Okay. So here's an example of a simple profile that you know, might exist on some site. Uh, This is my friend Chris Messina. He's worked on various different open standards. So here, you've got a bunch of pieces of information. You've got his name, his photo, notes, blog hyperlink. And this is what makes up uh, an H-card, right? Which is essentially the V-card standard, which every one of you has at least one device that supports, probably two devices, translated into HTML, into semantic HTML. So there's several examples here I'm not going to bother clicking on them. But if you if you clicked on those in the presentation, you could see that, depending on the site you go to, they're actually all marked up. And in fact, even the speakers for this conference and last year's conference are all marked up with H cards. And you could add them to your address book if you chose to. Right? The key here is to recognize that you've got a name, an image, some notes, and then a link to his blog. This is, these are the most common elements of profiles. Another common thing you see, and this is a what the pounce interface of other profiles illustrates is that users hyperlink their identities. Almost every social network site today has a field enter your URL, enter your homepage, enter your blog, right? And a lot of them, in fact, perhaps even most of them now are actually marking that up, okay? They're marking it up with a standard called XFN's rel.me. And they're pointing to their blogs. They're pointing to their social network profiles. They're pointing to their pounce. Maybe they're pointing to their open IDs, Okay and they're either doing that maybe on a site like Pounce that says here's a user interface to do it or they're doing it on their own blog WordPress has a nice link manager that lets you add links to your blog and say this is me or maybe they're just coding it themselves however they do it they're basically forming a structure like you see there so the next building block is a list of friends that you have and it doesn't it looks like just a bunch of icons but actually these are all hyperlinks to their profiles right the friend icons you know have the images there, and their names are actually in the image alt tag as well. So there's quite a bit of semantic information there that you can actually mark up with hCard for the link icon and name, and use XFN for the relationship, even just marking up as rel equals contact, right? If all you have is a friend system that adds friends, yes or no. I mean, that's even that helps make that visible. Okay, so what are the steps to actually make this work? So there's two basic steps. You want to publish microformats, in your social network profiles as much as you can and their friends lists. And then you also subscribe to them. Let people bring their stuff in and take their stuff with them. So help them form a flow of their information. Help them import their information through your system. So HCard on user profile pages, XFN rel me on hyperlinks to their blogs and home pages, Hcard and XFN friends lists. Now, if you have a separate friends page besides their profile page, you need to rel me to that page as well. And if you have multiple friends pages, say because they have like, you know, 5,000 friends or something, maybe they're Robert Scoble, right? You're not going to display 5,000 friends on one page. Uh, then you actually have to use a combination of the HTML4 rel next and previous values with the rel me value. And the rel attribute, since it's a space separated set of values, you can do that, no problem. So the second piece, right? Subscribe let the user subscribe to their information and bring it in. You want to let them subscribe to their profiles, bring in their icons, bring in all that stuff, subscribe to their friends list, and their names of friends, so that if, if they add someone on Twitter, they should automatically get the option to add them on Pounce. You know, if they add someone on Flickr, they should automatically get the option to add them on Dig or Doppler. So there's a lot more to describe, detail in these steps. It's all described on the Microformats wiki. But I'm going to show you just a tad bit of code, again, using the same example. I'm hoping that at least most of you can read that. How about the folks in the back? Okay. Yes. yes. All right. <laughs> so what we've got here is we're saying, okay, this whole thing you can mark up as a div. And we use the class vCard, which comes from the vCard standard, RFC 2426. We mark up as name with FN, which stands for formatted name. Mark up the image that's a photo with class equals photo. The, mark up the note with equals note. And finally, the link to his blog, we're we'll mark up with equals URL, which is part of the H card standard, saying this is a URL for Chris. We're we'll also marking up with rel equals me, which is part of XFN to indicate, hey, this blog of his over here is also part of his identity. That's the same as his profile. It's just part of the same person. Okay, that's it. That's literally all you have. That's the markup you have to add. You'll probably already have some markup like the green. You add, you add a few class values and a rel value, and that's all the work you have to do to markup a profile. Now, we talked about Pounce's other profiles feature. Well, here's, here's the markup behind that. Literally, all they had to do was add rel equals me to each one of those links. That's it. Right. It's not that difficult to do. and probably takes you less than a minute to add to your template, and all of a sudden you're supporting it. The key thing here is that for this to actually work properly, um, there has to be some amount of symmetry. So they link out from their Pounce profiles to all these different places, to their Flickr, their Technorati, et cetera. From those locations, they should link, the users will link back to their Pounce profile or their blog, whatever they consider their central hub of identity. And most users pick one spot that's like, hey, this is me, this is who I am on the web, and I'll link out from here and link back into here. Most people use their blog for that, but you can also use your Pounce profile or your Dig profile or any number of profiles that now support this other profiles feature. It's becoming much more popular. Finally, the friends lists. Okay. Very similarly to the profile, you've got a class equals vCard for each person. You've got class equals URL on the URL to them. And now you've got rel equals contact because you're linking to someone else not another page that represents yourself. You're saying this profile over here is a contact for me. Right? This next thing that's going on is kind of interesting. With the image element, since we've got the photo and their name on the same element, we can actually use FN for the formatted name and the photo on the same element. And that works great. And again, same thing. You just add a few class names and a rel value. And you've made your friends list portable. All right, so, so say you have a separate friends page, like that view all link over there. Okay, add rel equals me to that, because that's part of your larger profile. Anytime you have a profile page that has various information about the user about it, and you start separating it out into one or more pages for design considerations, space considerations, performance considerations, maybe, maybe even mobile considerations, right? You want to keep your pages small enough to load quickly and efficiently on a mobile device. Just link to it with rel equals me. Now, of course, you want to make sure you link back from the friends page to the profile page with rel equals me as well, so that that link relationship of identity is confirmed. And then if you paginate with previous and next links, you simply add rel equals me to both of those, and you might as well go ahead and add the semantic HTML next and prev as well, so that you know when you're navigating through the entire list, you know, a crawler can combine and say, oh yeah, this is all part of the same set of things and can know when it's done. So who supports this? Lots of companies now. It's been a little bit over a year since I first put up a lot of these recipes uh, for what you should do to support social network portability, and tons of companies are supporting this now. So check the Microformats wiki for the latest, but you'll find that there are easily, like, you know, I think we're like above the 100 million mark at this point uh, as far as social network profiles that support Hcard. And the number of XFN and and Hcard supporting friends lists are huge. So publishing is one thing, but what about the sign-up process? Okay, this is an area that I think is quite um, is, is something that definitely could use a lot of innovation. And if you look at what uh, what Daniel was showing you with Dig, like they're going to make it easier for you to sign up with Facebook Connect or with their Open ID. Uh, I want to actually em- 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 emphasize that the first thing you should support is to import from the Open Social Web from the social web, from the fact that there's more profiles that support hCard than, are the, than there are across all these different sites, than there are Facebook profiles, than there are, you know, MySpace, or any other specific site has now been exceeded by the total set of open profiles that are out there. And so what something that Get Satisfaction has done is they actually create an interface here where you can just click a link and say, oh yeah, I know my Flickr. I can type that in, right? And I don't think it'll load, but let's, let's see what happens. We try. And it tries to get your profile. The network's going to be slow for us, right? Yeah, It tries to get your profile, but then when it finds it, it fills in all the fields for you and gives you a checkbox that lets you subscribe to the profile as well. And that's particularly powerful. This is implemented today on Get Satisfaction. So if you create a new Satisfaction account, you don't need to upload a new icon. You don't need to update it when you, you update it on your other profiles as well. So it's the most widely supported profile format, like I was telling you about that. Um, there are more hCard users than any one site, and the question is, can we actually you know, take steps toward making the sign-up process as simple as possible? Right? Can we actually achieve this, this goal of having maybe a single field where you just enter your URL and name and sign up? And from that, you can import the user's Hcard, you can get their profile, you can get their nickname, which they can use as a login name right? You can get perhaps even their open ID, right? All this information can be published with with a single place and maybe even their email address, right? You don't actually need to to add a whole bunch of new fields and get them to sign up. Maybe you want to send them a default password or maybe you don't even need a password because you just use their open ID to let them sign in. It is possible and I think this is not one of those unobtainium things. I think this is one of those points that we're going to approach and we will see like within the next year that we will see sites let you sign up with a single field, now, I mentioned OpenID, and this is an area that there's been a lot of work, and a lot of work with, like, InfoCard and a bunch of other different identity systems. And what I want to say is, like, there is a word of caution here to keep in mind, right? Full disclosure, be a little bit aware of third-party authorization UIs, because when the user comes to your site, it's, it's your trust that you're trying to imbue the user with, right? You're trying to get the user to trust and, and hopefully be faithful to your site, And so assuming the user gives your site some trust, maybe a friend told them about it, maybe they got highly recommended, you don't want to lose that. Um, And a lot of these authentication systems require you to go to some other site, log in, or do something, and then come back to your site. And the challenge with that is that there actually are some phishing issues with that kind of of a back-and-forth interface. Now, we're all fairly advanced users here that understand kind of what we're doing. And so it's not that much of a big deal for us, but if you show an average person how to log in um, on some of these sites with their open ID or whatever, they get really confused. Why am I on this other site now? Why is it bouncing me back and forth? Um, There have been some advancements to that interface, so I'd say definitely take a look at what that works. There's even some problems with just signing up, what we call man-in-the-middle attacks. And I'm not gonna go into much detail with these because you can click on it. These are lengthy studies. Uh, there's even a Chi 2006 paper why phishing uh, works that, that goes into a lot of these scenarios of how you know fishers actually take advantage of the fact that if you see something that looks like a login page, you'll most likely enter it in and trust it. So I'd say consider implementing OpenID in addition to importing and subscribing to H cards on the web, um, but insist on not sacrificing the user experience. Right? If you look at how OpenID logins are implemented on sites today. It varies widely, right? Lots of different approaches to doing it. Some have icons in various places. Some have a separate login page. There's all kinds of different complexity that folks have introduced uh, with OpenID logins that I think is unnecessary. It's not OpenID's fault. I think the problem is that by looking at it as like, hey, we need to, make, we need to tout this feature. We need to tout the support for the standard. You end up walking down this path of designing something that's more complicated than it needs to be. Okay? The best standards are the ones that are invisible to the user, right? Data should be visible. The technologies should be invisible. It should work like magic. You shouldn't have to know that there's H-Card underneath the covers. You shouldn't have to know that there's OpenID underneath the covers. You should just be able to sign in with your URL, your profile URL. And either it'll work because it's an OpenID URL, or it'll bring in your profile information because it's got H-Card, or your sign-up form will say, hey, thanks for your URL. Now enter the rest of the information we need. Right? There's no reason to you know, put the little orange button there that says RSS, that back in the old days would just display gobbledygook to the user, right? Let's avoid the sort of like techno-jargon pollution of our interfaces, and instead, focus on keeping the interfaces simple to, for the user. All right, so find friends. This is another common area that, you know, once, you've, once you're supporting, publishing all this information, you also want to let the user find their friends on various different sites. And right now, you go to a lot of these sites, like, uh, like, like Digg or Pounce, or even Doppler, and you have to pick which site to, to import your friends from. Well, on my Doppler, I actually tell it, hey, I'm also at Tontech.com." and from there, it knows my Twitter is twitter.com slash t, because it's all linked with rel equals me, it, it's all linked from my pounce, etc., but it still asks me, what's your Twitter account name? Right? There's actually no reason for it to ask me. It, know, it has the information. It knows my URL, my open ID, that I can log in with. It could simply either crawl that, get the rel equals me links, and get the sort of pro- equivalent profiles, and know, oh, okay, I know you're also T on Twitter. I'll use that for you. Or we could call a Google Social Graph API, which I'll discuss a bit. So this is something that Doppler could improve. Pounce actually does do this, which is kind of nice. I think Pounce's implementation on this, um, they've been improving it pretty continuously, uh, slight UI tweaks along the way. So if you actually enter in your, your other profiles on Pounce, just to show off your little badge on your, on your profile page, when it comes time that you decide you want to import your friends, it uses that information, which is one less step for the user. Any time you can improve the user interface by removing a step for the user, you've made it that much you've reduced the friction by that much and helped the users use that uh, much more. The problem is, I'm always adding new folks to Twitter. So do I have to go back to Pounce and all the time say, "Hey, check my new friends again." Right? This is part of the whole social network tax so I have to pay every time I do join a new network. Instead, it should syndicate it. It should automatically pounce. Will automatically say, "Hey, you know, we've noticed that you've added a bunch of friends to Twitter. Do you want to add them?" Or maybe I can. Maybe I, I trust to add everyone on Twitter to my pounce, and I say, "I want a checkbox that says, always add everyone that I add,' so that I can know that when I add someone on Twitter, it'll automatically add them on pounce." Ah, now this is something that I think Twitter. I think pounce is fixed, um, but a lot of services make this assumption that, well, if you have a friends list on one site, you know, with their aliases, they're probably the same on the, other, on the current site, because people tend to use the same username across different sites. Well, that tends to be true, but also comes up with a bunch of false positives. Um, another problem is that all these sites require you to import your Twitter friends, then your Pounce friends, then your Gmail addresses, then your Yahoo addresses, etc., one at a time, right? You don't actually have to do that necessarily. I mean, sure, you can give the user that kind of fine-grained control, but just like that slider image that Daniel showed you, it kind of means you're, you're kind of copping out a little bit from a user interface standpoint. Better, instead, to find your friends across the web. And this is an exceptionally powerful thing that right now is implemented only on a napkin. Okay, there it is, right there. So what, what, this, what this diagram is illustrating, this napkin drawing is illustrating, and I think a lot of you know, good designs start as napkins, right? Is... Say I have an account on Doppler, and I've linked to my blog or my pounce. That's the left-hand side. Okay, that's all my identity, that, that left-hand oval, right? And then I also link from my blog and my pounce to my Flickr. Now, my Flickr, I'm, let's say I'm friends with Jeff Bean, which I happen to be. I, I'm following him I'm on Flickr, following his photos. And his Flickr links to his blog, which also links to his Doppler. So you can actually follow the Realme link, determine that my identity on Doppler includes my blog, includes my Flickr. Notice the fact that, okay, well, Jeff's identity that on Flickr I'm friends with Jeff, and that his identity there consolidates with his blog and with his Doppler, and then determine 100% certainty that, hey, you can suggest that, hey, you know Jeff on this site, you should add him on here. Right? No false positives. And this scales across different sites. So you can just call Google's Social Graph API, which they launched in February of this year, which indexes all this information to find out, what are the other sites I'm on? You just give it a URL, it gives you back a list of URLs. Right? Google's cached all, the, all these links already, so they can just tell you. And who are my friends across sites? Okay? These are API calls you can make today to Google to call this information. You don't need to call each different site separately. You can call Google once or twice and get this information from people across the web. That's where this needs to go. Right? More work work done for the user with less effort. Okay, so why are companies supporting this anyway? Well, some folks actually do the right thing, it turns out. Do the right thing for the user. Get more users sooner. You reduce friction. This is an obvious one. We all know this. You reduce friction for sign-up, people sign up more. Okay. A lot of folks are saying, well, but I don't want my information to go out. I want to protect all the information in our little, like, silo. Thing is, if you actually publish your user's information that's public with Hcard, with XFN and all that, what you've now done is become a high-quality publishing location for that user where they can syndicate out their data. They can trust it, just like they would trust their blog that syndicates out their feed as RSS or Atom. Right? So you actually build more loyalty into, by your users by opening up their data and letting them repurpose it and mash it up with other sites. Because right? if they update their icon on Flickr... And make their satisfaction dependent on it, they're more likely to keep going to their Flickr account. This last one is one we've seen over the last year. H uh, cards and XFN now dominate in numbers above any other social networks, any, any specific social network silo. This is a natural effect of any open standard that the network effects, when two sites implement it, there's like more incentive for a third site, there's more incentive for a fourth site. Right? Metcalf's law ensures that this is going to continue to happen. Finally, you want to outgrow the competition, right? Ooh. But before we jump too far in terms of outgrowing the competition, I want to at least mention the anti-patterns. The things that you should avoid doing. So, there are a bunch of social portability non-goals and dangers. This is the most important one. Do not ask for usernames and passwords to other sites. Okay? You are teaching, you know, for Gmail, Yahoo Mail, all these sites. These actually have APIs now. You don't need to ask for users' Gmail or Yahoo Mail anymore. Because... When you do this, you're teaching users to be phished. Right? Random site comes along and says, hey, let's import all your contacts into this thing that keeps track of your, you know, your favorite books or whatever. All right? And then all of a sudden it turns out actually you know, takes over your Gmail, uses your Google checkout account, you know, takes your money from there or whatever. It's a bad habit to teach users. The second one, which is highly related to this, unfortunately a lot of the same sites do this, they get your Gmail Yahoo mail address and say, well, we just want to check to see who's, you know, who else is on the site. But they don't do that. They actually go and email everyone in your address book. How many of you received an email invite from a friend from a social network, followed shortly by an email saying, oh, I'm so sorry, right? Or a Twitter, okay. Catch up to this about last year to great disdain. And I think fortunately there's no feedback mechanism with Twitter and all these other sites that when sites are doing this now, they're getting called out on it for it sooner and sooner. And in fact, um, we have a little bit of a hall of shame page on our wiki called social network anti-patterns that you can go through, see Goodreads, you know, spam your address book, catch up, Facebook, ask for your password for your Gmail, Insight, you know, share this, TwitPic login, etc. all these sites. So I encourage you, if you find sites that do this anti-pattern, please go ahead and add them to that wiki. Okay, the final thing to avoid, avoid violating user expectations. This one's important. Users, when they sign up for a service, when they give them their email address, the expectation today is that email address is private. They don't expect that that email address is going to be shared, even implied to be shared. So if you do something like, say, consolidate their identities across different sites by looking up their email address by search, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Um, you will violate the user's expectations. So obviously, don't publish the user's email. Most sites don't do that. But less obvious, don't even publish a unique hash of their email. Because that enables third parties to consolidate their identities across different sites in ways that the users do not expect. They don't expect that site A will share their email, even in sort of a uniquified form, with site B, or with site C. And so when that happens, they're like, oh my gosh, how did you know that? Right? This is the kind of the creep out factor we talk about. It's, it's all nice and wonderful to make things seem automatic and easy. But if it seems creepy, you'll scare the user, and they'll not want to use your site. They'll be like, why do you know this about me? I don't trust you anymore. And then you've lost that user. That's no good. So avoid publishing email and unique email hashes. Okay, so what next? Implement today based on public data. Keep up with updates on the microformats wiki, social network portability. Add your site to the wiki as you implement each one of those little pieces. As you implement HCard profiles, there's a site, there's a page to say, hey, we implement HCard profiles. Add you implement rel equals me to their blog or homepage. There's a there's a list for that too. Add your site there as you implement an XFN friends list, or hcard XFN friends list, add those on. And finally, this is an area that has just gotten working pretty recently, um, which is OAuth support for incorporating private data. How many of you use Flickr? A lot of folks here. How many of you use some sort of Flickr uploader application or something like that? Do you remember the first time you signed up, you had to go to Flickr and say, yeah, I'm going to give this application permission to upload, right, vaguely? And it came back to the application and said, yeah, you've approved this application. Well, that's basically what OAuth does, but in an open way, open standards way. And is now supported by Google for the Gmail Contacts API. And supported by a lot of other companies. So if you support this, both as an endpoint and as a consumer, which means that you allow, you provide an OAuth interface to allow other sites to access your user's private data with their permission. And while you're looking to import information from another site, you try to access it via OAuth and get the user's permission then you can now port not just their public information, but their private information. And I believe there's a library being released pretty soon for this. Is Glenn here? Glenn? Has that library been released? Yeah, this, morning. this morning. So Glenn Jones of Magix, this morning there's been a library released, an open source library released, to actually import your contacts via, Google, I mean, via, via OAuth from any site, or publish. So take a look at Take a look at that link, look into OAuth support, and you'll find it there. So all, this entire presentation, by the way, was, of course, built with microformats. The text is public domain, as I want to reiterate. And if you have any questions, join the conversation. The, the hash microformats channel on the on IRC, irc.freenode.net, is the best place to start. If you click that link, you'll find the IRC wiki page on the microformats wiki. And thank you.